thankful this morning to be here. I'm above all thankful that we have a, such a wondrous God that we can come and worship and praise. And I'm thankful for the congregation here. It's thankful for uh, the opportunity we have to finally get to be here and meet several of you. Uh, to borrow a, an illustration from last night, uh, when you come to the porch of the house of God, it's easier to get to know people when you know you're on the same foundation and people believe in like manner. It's just a, a wonderful thing to travel 1,500 miles from home and you meet people that's just like you've known all your life and that believe just like you do and rejoice in that. I'm a little bit hesitant this morning um, about speaking, you know, in a meeting where there's been two invited ministers, but I understand the the reasoning behind it and uh, I also want to remember uh, one of the first things I learned when I became a pastor uh, my first church I pastored was a church called Andrews Primitive Baptist Church in Andrews Texas and not long after I was pastoring that church I realized that for a pastor having a visiting minister is a win-win situation now, the reason I say that is because if the man of God is blessed to preach the gospel and he praises God and the, the congregation is fed spiritually and the, and the church is edified, the pastor is so happy. But if the man of God is not blessed, after he leaves, the people, the congregation comes up to the pastor and says, we're glad you're our pastor, not him. So it's a win-win situation for a pastor. What I want to think about for a little while this morning is along the subject of meeting a king. Now I'm going to look at a number of passages here in the Old Testament, if the Lord would bless us. And it's familiar passages, but I want to look at it from the aspect of how different individuals acted and thought as they were in the process of meeting a king. Now, what I want us to think about when we go through this is more than just how we are in meeting a king. Now, you may say, well, we don't have a king anymore. We'll just insert uh, the president or their governor or somebody like that. Surely you like one of them. Uh, you know, think about meeting one of them and how you would act if you met the governor or the president. So I want to start out in, in looking at this and going to Genesis chapter 12. And here we're in Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 12, we begin in earnest the story about Abraham and the Lord calling him uh, out of his homeland and, and sending him into the promised land and those great promises there. And as Abraham journeyed down into that land and God took him through that land, after a number of years, a famine came along. And so Abraham uh, left uh, the promised land or what would become the promised land to his heritage later. And he traveled down into Egypt. And I've told uh, church members for, for a number of years, if you ever have occasion to travel down into Egypt, don't stay there long. You don't want to stay there. Now, Abraham went down into Egypt, and he had the opportunity to meet Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. But before they got there, 
Abraham made a statement to his wife. Sarah was apparently, even as she became what we would refer to in these days as in the golden years, she was still an extremely beautiful woman. And so Abraham told his wife, says, when we get down into Egypt, uh, there's going to be Pharaoh, maybe somebody else, that's going to kill me uh, so they can have you as a wife. So let's just tell everybody that uh, you're my sister. So Abram, as he was called in, was getting ready to meet a king. So what did he do? He acted in fear. He acted in fear. He was afraid that he was going to be killed. So what did he do? He came up with a lie. Now, I get to thinking back on Hebrews chapter 11 and all these stories that we have over there of great men of faith. And Abraham is mentioned a couple of times over there in Hebrews chapter 11. The great faith that he had in leaving his homeland. The great faith that he had when he brought forth that child, uh, Isaac. That great faith that he had when he took Isaac upon the mountain to sacrifice him there. The great faith that's mentioned about Abraham. Where was it? Didn't have it when he got down to Egypt, did he? Now, I'm going to give Abraham a little break. Because this was early in his experience in learning to trust the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this. This fear that we have. And then think of the fear of somebody else that shouldn't have had fear. Go over to 1 Samuel, about chapter 21, I believe it is, possibly 22. But over in there where you see David, this is David before he became king of all Israel. And David, uh, after that, I mean, it's amazing that story. Haven't we all loved that story of David and killing Goliath? Uh, actually, it was God that killed Goliath, but David just happened to be there. But David, that great faith that he had when he came up there to visit his brothers, he was just a shepherd boy. And when he came up there to visit his brothers and saw Goliath out there defying the armies of the living God, he said, you know, who, who's going to go out and take care of this guy? And he volunteered. Everybody else was afraid. David said, God has been with me. A bear came, a lion came to, to take sheep out of my father's flock. I killed them both. God delivered them. He says, I'll go out and fight him. And he did, and he won the battle. That's a great amount of faith, isn't it? But then it wasn't long till King Saul began to try to kill David. Now, in fact, let me turn over here to, to 1 Samuel chapter. Let me the particular verse that that I want to get um, about this when David fled from Saul. And it said in, in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, verse 10, David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. So what did he do? He went to Achish, king of Gath. Now, I get a little fuzzy on history, uh, but it seemed like that uh, Goliath's family was from Gath. So he went into that territory because he was afraid of Saul. 
Should David have been afraid? No. But then, when he went to this king, you know what he did? He was afraid they would kill him. So he's gotten ready to meet this king, and he was fearful. So this is, this is kind of strange. You know what David did when he got there? Look at verse 20, excuse me, verse 13. He changed his behavior before them. He feigned himself mad in their hands, scrabbled on the doors of gate, let spittle fall down upon his beard. He's, he was acting like an insane person because he was afraid of death. Where's David's face? As he met a king, he was fearful. Now, there's a reason I'm going through these things this morning. I want to ask you a question this morning. Here were some people that had fear when they went to meet a king. How do you think and what do you do when you're thinking about meeting the king? When you meet the king of this universe, the king of this world, when you go before him in your prayer life, when you go before him in your daily walk, do you go before him with fear? Are you making up lies? Are you making up uh, acting insane like David did? Is that the way that you're acting when you're getting ready to meet the king? Now I understand that that Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I've had a number of people through the years that tell me, well, that's just reverential fear. Well, I guess I probably don't understand that fine line of distinction between reverential fear and real fear. Uh, I had a man one time that was, was exercising, and, and the church was ready to ordain this young man, and and. This young man was one of those that really believed that, that we can go to God at any time and we have nothing to fear before the hand of God. You know, everything that talks about fear in God, it was reverential fear. And I went to him, I talked to him, and he said, I just don't think I ought to be ordained. He said, I'm not called to preach. And so I told him, I gave him a little piece of advice. I said, if you don't think that you're called to preach, I've got an easy solution for you. Quit. You know what he said? Oh, I'd be afraid to do that. That doesn't sound like reverential fear to me. That sounds like some real fear. Oh, by the way, he's ordained now. But anyhow, we need to come before God with not only that reverential fear that God is everything and we're nothing. He is holy and we're not. He's great. And wondrous, and we're not. But thanks be to God, He's also a God of love, mercy, and compassion. All right, now let me move quickly to another sample of somebody that was preparing to meet a king. Go back to uh, Genesis chapter 41. In Genesis chapter 41, the account of Joseph. And we're all familiar with the story of Joseph, how his brothers uh, sold him into slavery, he went down into Egypt. And he was sold as a slave into Potiphar's house. God blessed him greatly. Potiphar saw that God blessed his house because of Joseph. And uh, he trusted Joseph with everything. Uh, jo uh, Potiphar's wife made an advance toward Joseph. He declined and he ended up in prison. And while they're in prison, 
He met Pharaoh's former butler and former baker. They had dreams. Joseph interpreted those dreams. And in three days, those dreams came to pass just like Joseph had interpreted them. And the butler, he was restored to his position before Pharaoh. The baker, well, he didn't fare quite so good. He lost his head. All right? Now, if, if I would have been spared like the butler, I don't think I would have forgot Joseph. But he did. And two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. You remember that dream? He had that first dream that, that having these seven wonderful cows, everything was great. Then here come seven more that, that are ill-favored, and they eat up the good ones. And then he has another dream, and there's a stock of corn that comes up, and there's seven wonderful lush ears. And then seven withered ears come up uh, from another stock and consume the good ones. And so the butler finally sent word uh, to the prison. He, he told Pharaoh, he said, oh, man, I can't believe I forgot this. No, it's not exactly King James. But he said, there was a man who interpreted dreams. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. So here's a very clear case for a man that was getting ready to meet a king. So go to Genesis chapter 14, uh, 41, verse 14. It says, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And here's what Joseph did. Notice this. And he shaved himself, he changed his raiment, and he came in unto, uh, unto Pharaoh. I have used this verse for years. You know what I use this verse for years? I've taken this verse and said that this is a reason I dress up for church. <laughs> you know, this is a reason I want to look good. You know, I want to put on my best before I go meet the Lord and the Lord's people. And I, I still believe that's embraced upon this. I think that that's how we ought to be in, in uh, uh, meeting God's people. Now, I have went to church before uh, in blue jeans and a T-shirt because that's all I had at that particular time in a church uh, several hours away from where I lived. And circumstances changed. I had an opportunity to go to church, and I went and told them as the best I had, and they were fine with it. Now, I hope I haven't offended anybody, but if I have, that's okay. I'll get over it. All right? Now, uh, I tell people all the time I'm an equal opportunity offender. If I haven't got to you yet, just be patient, and I'll get to you eventually. All right, now, Joseph prepared himself. He cleaned up to present himself to Pharaoh, present himself to a king. How are you in presenting yourself to the king? Here in this time, a hope that we try to bring our best toward God. Now, there's going to come a time, and the older I get, the more I look forward to it. There's coming a time when I'm going to meet the king face to face. At the last time, the last trump shall sound. And when I go there before my king then, I hope I'm dressed up. Now, I hope I'm not dressed up in my works. 
You know, if I was dressed up in my works, you remember over in Ezekiel uh, chapter 16 and verse 6, when Ezekiel was given that prophecy about Jerusalem, and he, he said, you know, I saw them as in their uh, polluted in their own blood. You know, if I'm getting there in my own works, that's a pretty good description of what I'll be like when I meet the king. But thanks be to God, I'm going to appear before our Heavenly Father as righteous and perfect and holy because I've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be prepared to meet the king. Thank God he did all the work and I have to do nothing. <laughs> and if it's up to me, I wouldn't do anything except mess it up. All right, now, let's look at another one. Let's uh, turn over to Second uh, Samuel. In Second Samuel, a story that, we're, that I've loved for a number of years, uh, chapter 9, uh, the story of a young boy by the name of Mephibosheth. Now, just to set a little bit of background, how things worked in that day and time, you had a king like King Saul that was on his throne, and another king came in and conquered that uh, uh, kingdom and took the city, took the kingdom. It was very common for the conquering king, the new king, to kill the old king and his sons and his nephews and his grandson. Everybody that might ever have a claim to the throne, he'd kill them. That was common. So here David takes over, but the difference is that David had had a very close relationship with King Saul's son, Jonathan. And they had a, a, a knitting of their souls. Uh, they loved each other uh, more than brothers do. I mean, they had a, a great kinship. And they promised one another at their last parting to treat one another's families well. That was a promise that David made to Jonathan. And so when David assumed being king over all Israel, he said here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, he said, Is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a man there by the name of Ziba, uh, heads up, He's not going to turn out to be a good guy. But he said, there's one left of Jonathan's family, a son, Mephibosheth. He's lame in both his feet, and he's down in Lodabar. That means a place without pasture. And so David sent for Mephibosheth. And here's a man, lame, a cripple. He's being brought before a king. What do you think Mephibosheth thought as he was getting ready to appear before King David? <laughs> I'll never see another sunrise. <laughs> you reckon? Probably so. And so when Mephibosheth, as he came to meet a king, what did he do? In verse 6, he says he fell on his face and did reverence. You know what? When I meet the king, that's what I do. I fall on my face and I give reverence. And here David, uh, you know, I don't really think it mattered if Mephibosheth uh, gave reverence or not. 
David was going to show him kindness anyhow. Because he had a promise to Jonathan. Uh, And you know, I think about that. uh, And I don't want to encourage anybody not to follow God. Far be it from that. But when I get ready to meet the king, he's going to show me the kindness because of somebody else. It's going to be because of Jesus Christ. And it really doesn't make any difference if, if I've been a perfect individual or not. I should strive to be as good as possible. I should strive for excellence. I should strive to, to model my life after the life of Christ. But when I meet the king, it's not really going to make any difference. He's going to show me kindness because of Christ. Now, you know, when we get cast down, we get discouraged. As we heard preached last night, God's arms are underneath us. Aren't you thankful that when we fail ourselves, we realize that God's showing us kindness because of Jesus Christ? Now, I want to stay uh, here as I try to close. I want to stay here with Mephibosheth for just a moment. There came a time when Absalom, David's son, decided he wanted to be king. And over a period of time, he developed a great following amongst the people. He was a great politician. And just so you know, I like politics. I'm just not real fond of politicians. All right? Now, I hope there's no politicians here. Um, But Absalom was a great politician. The heart, it says, of Israel was turned to follow Absalom. And when word came to David, David departed Jerusalem. Ziba, you remember Ziba, the one that told David about Mephibosheth? You know, he was in part of that process. And Ziba told Mephibosheth, says, I'll get a horse, I'll get a carriage, whatever the exact language was. I'll get, I'll get everything ready for you. But he didn't. He left Mephibosheth behind. And, and by the way, David, uh, he had enough uh, loyal soldiers that he probably could have told them, go fix this rebellion, and Absalom would have been gone. All right? Why did David leave the city? He didn't want to see his son killed. So he left. And when he finally came back, after there was a battle, and after Absalom did die, David went back to Jerusalem. And there came a time when Mephibosheth came before David. Now I want us to notice, this is over in um, 2 Samuel 19. And uh, this is verse 24. Here's Mephibosheth that came back. Now Mephibosheth, as part of that kindness that David showed him before all of this had happened, Mephibosheth had been given all of the land of Saul. All of his grandfather's property and land, he got all of the income from it. Had a great living, had great wealth then because of that. And on top of that, he got to dine at the king's table as one of the king's sons. He had all these great privileges. And then David left Jerusalem. Let's see what Mephibosheth did while David was gone. Verse 24, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes. 
from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. You know what about something about Mephibosheth? He was miserable without his king. He was miserable. Didn't get that fellowship at the king's table. Didn't have all of the, the, the wealth coming in from that land. But see, Ziba, that servant, told David, he said, you know, when you left town, Mephibosheth said that the kingdom's going to be restored to him that day. That was a lie. And so Mephibosheth came before David. So he was coming before a king. And it probably wasn't a pleasant thing to see. Didn't clean up. Didn't take a bath. Didn't change clothes. I mean, this is, it must have been a pitiful sight before he came to meet a king. And he explained the deception to David. And David said, okay. And David kind of figured this out. Because see, all along I think Ziba was wanting all of that land for himself. And so David made this statement. He said, you and Ziba divide the land. That's an option he gave to Mephibosheth. You and Ziba just divide the land. He's take half. Everybody's happy, right? You know what Mephibosheth said? <laughs> Let him have it all. And notice what we read there in, in the very last part uh, of this account that Mephibosheth said. He said in verse 30 of 2 Samuel 19, Mephibosheth said unto the king, Let Yea, let him take all, for as much as my Lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. You know what Mephibosheth was saying? I don't care all about all this stuff, David, my king. I don't care about all of that. You're here. You're in peace. I get to see you again, and that's worth more than all the things of this world. Now, I want to ask you, dear friends of God, isn't that the way that we are with our God when we meet the king? I mean, when we have the presence of God in our lives in a wondrous, joyful thing. But then when we have those times of separation for God, aren't we miserable? You know, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of visiting the University of North Carolina. And the University of North Carolina has a lot of the writings of Elder Sylvester Hassel. And they had his diary uh, there in that library. And it's an unusual deal. You had to request permission and handle it specially. You know, you couldn't, you know, write, take anything that could write with. And so I was reading Sylvester Hassel's diary. I thought, man, this is great. Guy that wrote Hassel's history, I got his diary. And so I was reading there. And he says, a particular day, I don't feel the presence of the Lord today. And he was sad. And then a week or two later, he'd make a statement. Haven't felt the presence of the Lord in a few days. He was miserable. Yeah. But then comes days when he does feel the presence of the Lord. Do you understand what Brother Hassel was going through? We understand that in our lives, don't we? When you and I don't have presence of the king, we're miserable. And we long to have that fellowship with God. 
And when we come out of one of those times, don't we realize like Mephibosheth did, all of this world's goods is nothing. If we don't have the presence of God, the fellowship of God, we don't have anything worth keeping. Let us rejoice that we have the blessed privilege of meeting the King and we can be with the King. And I'm looking forward to that day when we'll get to be with the King face to face in his presence and it'll be forever. Let us rejoice in the King, our God. My God bless you.